San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, everybody, my name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle, and good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760KFMB or tune in radio, you can hear the show as it airs on any device. And, of course, all these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com. Now time to introduce the main man of the hour, the CPA extraordinaire, accomplished marathon runner, best-selling author, electric philanthropist, and a family office expert advising several high-net-worth families. His name is Richard Musio. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? I'm doing good, Joe. Yeah. But we're actually not doing this show tonight. We're taping it. And I actually have a client playing down in Indian Wells in the tennis tournament as we are taping the show. That would be Taro Daniel. Who, Taro Daniel from Who the... upset Novak Djokovic. That is right. Number 10 seed. So, yeah, uh, beat him. So looking good. And then, of course, uh, you predicted that Venus would beat her sister Serena, which happened uh, yes. this week as well. So we'll see how it all shakes out in Indian Wells. And, of course, I was out there for the Desert Smash. You were? Was it out. smashing? It was phenomenal. Good. Uh, you know, Donna Mills was there. Remember that old? Mm-hmm. The, the, I mean, the, the, the star. I shouldn't call her old. Oh, but yeah, she, careful. <laughs> well, the star of yesteryear. And, and uh, Wanda Sykes was hilarious. Serena Williams. Uh, I happened to be standing at the top of the stairs where she and Azarenka were coming in. I just turned around and took their The first picture. autograph my daughter Demi ever got was Victoria Azarenka. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. And they're both mothers, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about motherhood a little bit. And it was very cool. So, um, also, I discovered on uh, I have on Amazon Prime and the, a film called The Science of Fasting, and I've gotten into that a little bit, and I recommend it to everybody. Have you ever tried that, Richard? No, I don't fast because it makes me hungry. Well, I'm telling you, you should try it out and read. Uh, if, I mean, they're actually it, they're using it to cure conditions and, and ailments and diseases right along with cannabis, which is a good lead-in for our guest who is probably the premier real estate consultant in the cannabis space in San Diego and beyond. His name is Rick Payne. Rick Payne, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good, good, good. good. Welcome to the show. I know we're just going to do a segment with you, but um, tell us about yourself real quickly, uh, your real estate background, and then we'll get into your specialty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you guys for having me on, first and foremost. Born Um, and raised, went to school. Yeah, exactly. I'm from from San Diego, born and raised, went to San Diego State. uh, Got into What what high school? uh, Steel Canyon. Nice. Grossmont, Grossmont League. That didn't even exist when I was going to El okay. Capitan. Yeah. All right, we exactly. only have a segment here. So I anyway. <laughs> and then San Diego State major. Yeah. major. Uh, yeah, San Diego State econ major. Got into real estate right when the market crashed. I um, uh-huh. was doing short sales, foreclosures, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, got into the cannabis space about uh, five years later through mm-hmm. a friend of mine and ultimately um, realized that the real estate component was a huge piece. Um, there was mm-hmm. a need for it. There was a void. And uh, here we are today. Well, they're predicting big things for the uh, cannabis industry in California, as you know. I saw the number $22 billion by 2021, and now on your website, I think it's up to $24 billion by, what, 2024 or something like that, or 33 Yeah, Some- I, I can't keep up. It might be 30 <laughs> by next week. <laughs> well, how much land is out there, San Diego County, uh, available for cannabis development, would you say? Um, you know, just to give you a idea, I'd say about one. One percent of one percent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I guess right. The county of San Diego, uh, the board of supervisors have banned cannabis yeah, and all the unincorporated areas. So I guess that's a, a dumb question by me because uh, as of right now, 
you can't even grow it or sell it or do anything with it in the unincorporated areas, right? That's correct. Yeah, the county has has a moratorium in place. Uh, nothing's going on for the foreseeable future. So, but Prop sixty four passed. The city of San Diego is on board. Uh, how many dispensaries now? About fourteen or something like that. Yeah, I believe there's thirteen open and, and uh, but, but do, several do, in applications. Do you think the county's ever going to change? Because I know I grew up in the agricultural industry. There's all these old orange groves and avocado groves that are not viable as economic enterprises anymore. You know, I, all that land associated with it. Agreed yeah. completely. I think. Uh, something's going to happen sooner or later. I think we're going to see that more down the road. Than I th- we, I, what I predict is as more as more uh, revenue is generated for governments, and there are 18 cities in San Diego. A lot of people forget to realize that, but you've got to convince all these councils and, and populations. You, I know the, the majority uh, of the population is in favor of cannabis uh, dispensaries and, and, and beyond, um, so I don't I don't know why the the civic leaders are dragging their feet. I know they're having good luck in Chula Vista uh, and several several other areas. I know the Association of Cannabis Professionals is lobbying uh, very hard to get all this done. But there, it's it's a domino effect. I think uh, how many how many um, well, obviously the city has the, the dispensaries in the in the city proper. But uh, as far as the other. 18 uh, jurisdictions. I know Chula Vista just jumped on board. and Yeah, so, so we've, we've got Chula Vista right now. Um, you had Lemon Grove come online back in November 2016. Mm. You got Lemon Grove, which kind of just blew up for a lot of the applicants. That city you know, had, had a lot of troubles kind of figuring out their program. Mm-hmm. Uh, city of San Diego has been in effect since 2014 for uh, retail or medical marijuana consumer cooperatives, which were later slated to become marijuana outlets. And um, the most recent program, which was enacted in November, was to close the supply chain and provide distribution, manufacturing, cultivation. And that was in the city of San Diego under the Marijuana Production Facility Program. Yeah. Okay. And uh, your website has a lot of good in- information about the properties available uh, here and throughout the state. And let's give the website. It's CannabisRealEstateConsultants.com, right? Yep, that's it. Okay. CannabisRealEstateConsultants.com. We actually just ranked number one nationally on Google. So we're, uh, oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're getting, uh, we're getting quite the, Some the, notoriety. Uh, yeah, the attention. So are there other cities or municipalities that are further ahead than San Diego in terms of um, say, taking advantage of what this means? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I actually just got back from Humboldt County yesterday. Uh, I was in Arcata meeting with a client okay. and, you know, their experience, you know, compared to the experience of other clients that I have locally, um, it's just night and day. I mean, hmm. the city is fully on board. They want to make these things happen. They yeah, want I think to. the real estate availability up there and the market, uh, everybody's full, you know, in full uh, full force on that it's the but los angeles and san francisco actually san diego jump-started them because we were we had all our paperwork in with the state and those two cities did not uh, as of january 1st right so they're a little bit behind as far as dispensaries and other things right Rick? yeah it's true um I, I think the you know per capita ratios are a little bit better in those cities but nonetheless you know the city of san diego was progressive in the sense that they came up with the program back in 2014 so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so as far as uh Upside, profit potential, and all this stuff. Uh, what do you, what do you, what are you seeing, or what are you predicting? I mean, have you already seen great upticks in in? Uh, in Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing uh, vacancy rates decrease substantially um, in you know Class B industrial warehouse zones. Um, we're seeing a lot of uh, you know high absorption rates, obviously, that go hand in hand with that. But you're seeing uh, multiples, not premiums of percentages, you're actually seeing multiples on lease rates and uh, price per square foot sales on a lot of these properties. Mm. Now, as far as dispensary development in San Diego County, um, obviously, how much how much space is even available? Because I know it's highly regulated. You can't be within a certain number of feet from schools and, and, uh, and, and parks and things like that. 
Yeah, um, that's correct. So the city of San Diego is probably one of the most restrictive municipalities that we've seen, given their residential setbacks, um, sensitive uses. They consider churches to be a sensitive use. A lot of other municipalities do not. So um, you'd be amazed how many churches there are uh, that, you know, <laughs> don't necessarily look like a church. Right. But they're in, you know. Oh, yeah, they're out there. Yeah. Uh, so. You ever just notice every driving around and it's like every other block there's right. a church. I guess the tax situation uh, is very favorable. It so. pays to be a nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't mean non-money, by the way, which we learned from Dr. <laughs> Paul Tierstein. <laughs> you could still have an out- outlandish uh, salary and be head of a nonprofit or something like that. So, but um, uh, anyway, Rick, what what can you tell us that's compelling, or what what, what some talking points that we, you want to convey to our listeners that uh, that they need to know? Well, I mean, I think the the importance in this industry is you know obviously finding a piece of real estate before you can go and get an, app, an application in place and before you can do anything. For the most part, you have to have a willing property owner or you have to have the deed of title to use that property for that use. As a matter of fact, in the city of San Diego, before you can even apply for an application, you have to submit what's called an ownership disclosure statement. And it basically says, I have permission to use this property or apply for an application on this property. And so um, having someone or a group that can, you know, confidently negotiate those kind of transactions and, you know, navigate the complexity that that involved you know is typically involved in those transactions is uh extremely important and i mm-hmm. think given the fact that we've been in this space for so long um you know our website really has only been around for about three months but we've been in this space for over two years you know specifically mm-hmm. cannabis real estate and um you know we're working with publicly traded companies uh we're working with local operators we're working with investment groups um you know People that you wouldn't ever even imagine. I mean, athletes. Uh, yeah. You know, well, uh, Ricky, William, Ricky Williams is a big fan, and I'm, I'm sure you'll have a presence <laughs> at the Canna Village April 22, Balboa uh, Park, absolutely. right? Absolutely. We will be there. Yeah. Well, along with the 57 other vendors, including Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps, who's always great and has a large display there as well. So you represent buyers, sellers, and investors, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. So if they want to get a hold of you, it's over at CannabisRealEstateConsultants.com. Rick Payne, thanks for being our guest. We'll be right back with Faye Gersh and Dr. Bob Uslander, all about the Hemlock Society right after this. Hang on. We are back. Thanks to Rick Payne with the uh, Cannabis Real Estate Consultants for being, I guess, in our first segment. And now for the remainder of the show, we have from the Hemlock Society of San Diego, I believe the founder, Faye Gersh. Is that correct, Faye? It's right. All 31 right. years ago. Wow. <laughs> you, you could pull that mic closer if you'd like to. And also you, we brought, you brought with us uh, Dr. Bob Uslander, who uh, is in charge of Integrated MD Care. And uh, welcome. He's the medical director and the founder of that, is right? Yeah, thank you. Thanks wow. for having me. So, uh, Faye, you've been in San Diego a while. I, I know you've had some media uh, exposure yourself with, with former programs and things of that nature. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your background, born and raised, and et cetera. Oh, my gosh, that background. <laughs> this, this might, how long do you have? Well, <laughs> thumb, start at the beginning. Reader's, Reader's Digest version. <laughs> I'm from Philadelphia. And I nice. finally migrated to San Diego after three years in Chicago, three winters in Chicago, let's mm. put it that way. One would be enough, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been here since 1978. So um, the Hemlock Society started in 1980, started by Derek Humphrey, a British journalist who helped his wife die. Mm. And he wrote a book about it called Jean's Way and the letters and the money came from all over the world saying, how did you have the courage to do this? This was so good, and tell us how. And then he wrote uh, several books, including Final Exit. Mm-hmm. So I became head of the National Hemlock Society in 1996, and I was there for 10 years until it merged um, with a smaller group 
no longer exists as a national organization. But we started the Hemlock Society of San Diego here 31 years ago. Hmm. And I and alive and well. Alive and well. <laughs> we have uh, programs every month. They're open to the public, and they're pretty good. Uh-huh. So the main goal is what? Death with dignity, ultimately? Is well, that to it? tell people what their end-of-life choices are, consistent with their own values and beliefs, mm-hmm. they can pick one. Mm-hmm. But there are so many now changes in the law that have helped people have a better death, and people really don't know about those. And so that our, our purpose is to be informative. Yeah. And what, what precipitated your interest in the subject matter? Uh, an obscure legal case. Well, not so obscure. A legal case in 1983 with the ACLU head I was on the board. Mm about a young quadriplegic woman who wanted to die by not eating and drinking. And at 1983, you couldn't do that. Right. Now you can do that. It's the choice uh, method of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But that uh, called my attention to the problem that people wanted to die and couldn't. Mm. She had no, her condition was what again? It was just paraplegic? Did she have any? She had uh, cystic fibrosis or something that caused her to be essentially paralyzed. Well, that's, you know, that's terminal, cystic fibrosis. Well, it wasn't. It. No, well, I guess yeah. that's not what she had because her condition was not terminal. That's oh, really? The no. Mm. No. So. Um, It'd be interesting. I don't know. I guess uh, that'd be a tough call, Richard. If you became a para- you know, paralyzed from the neck down tomorrow, um, you know, that'd be uh, interesting. Well, I, I know, I know what I would do. What would you do? I, I wouldn't want to be here. Yeah. Yeah. I See, already that's, know that. That's easier said than done. So no, then you have that, to ask what choices do you have yeah. to right. not be here. Right. And then, of course, there's family pressures and things like that. But, um, you know, I think for most people, just you know, if, you're, if you were confined to a bed for the rest of your life, um, you know, what kind of quality of life is that? Uh, you know, one of the things we do is show a Right to Die film series. Mm-hmm. And some of those movies do have to do with quadriplegics, like The Sea Inside. Mm-hmm. There's a marvelous Academy Award-winning movie made in Spain about a quadriplegic, an actual man, Ramon San Pedro, who wanted to die. Yeah. And he couldn't until finally the Right to Die Society mm-hmm. of Spain helped him. Yeah. I see there was a film, the Right to Die film series with Olympia Dukakis. We just interviewed Governor Mike Dukakis recently. Oh, that was and, last Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, tell, us about, sister. Tell, us, yeah, tell us about mm-hmm. that series. Uh, is that a um, every other month? Usually at the Mission Valley Library. The next one with Olympia Dukakis, the event will be at um, Rancho Bernardo Library because mm. we couldn't get the Mission Valley Library. But those are free, open to the public. We have a very good film and then a very good discussion afterwards because these are issues that pertain to different aspects of the right to die. Mm-hmm. It's not a simple thing, you know. It's yeah. sometimes it's couples, sometimes it's quadriplegic, sometimes yeah. it's people with AIDS. Of course, you know, Dr. Uh, Stephen, who's the brilliant guy who's confined Hawkins. to Hawkins. Yeah, I mean, That's right. I would hate to have him go. I mean, he's such a brilliant mind. But, right. but you know, we should have that right. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. How do the legal cases stack up against this? Well, we've made tremendous progress in the last 31 years or since Hemlock started, which is uh, more than that. Mm-hmm. We have the right to refuse medical treatment. We have the right to refuse um, food and fluids now. We have the right now to have physician aid in dying under the new, well, not new anymore, a year and a half ago, California passed the End of Life Option Act, mm-hmm. which enables you to get a physician to prescribe medication that will end your life peacefully. Hmm. We have the right to make a living will. It doesn't sound like a big right, but it was hard-fought right that we passed first in California in 1976. Yeah, we hear about living wills and advanced directives. They're related, but they're different, aren't they? No. Well, 
a living will is just that document that says this is what I want, this is what I don't okay. want. Okay. Advanced directive. Not specific. so legally informed. Advanced directive. Also, then you add the this specific. is my healthcare agent. This is the person I trust to make the decisions for me. Right. If I can't speak for myself. Right. But I know there's been great progress made too. I, I mean, it used to be against the law, for example, to assist somebody in killing themselves. It correct? still is. And it still is. Unless you're a doctor and you use the unless end of life right. option act. Now, right. some states is it is it Oregon or uh, some states have. Um, Maybe maybe Dr. Bob, and we should kind of get to Dr. Bob in a moment too. Anyway, I'm just enjoying <laughs> sitting here and taking all this in. I'm, I'm learning. But some states uh, have legalized assisted suicide by physicians, right? How many of that? How many so of that? So it's six, but I think Hawaii just passed it. So, so that I think it's, in, seven, I think it's yeah. in the it's going through the Senate in Hawaii yeah. at this point. Yeah. Well, let's get Dr. Dr. Bob's take on this. Give us a little bit about your background, Dr. Sure. Bob. You slander, and and then we'll uh, get your take on all Sounds this. Sounds good. So I actually struggled through 27 Chicago winners. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> not all consecutively. I grew you were up. A smart guy. I grew up. I got smarter as I got older. Uh, so I grew up in Chicago, went to college in Illinois, and then I went to medical school at UCLA. I found Nirvana, right? I, mm -hmm. Not necessarily LA, but Southern California. Mm -hmm. So uh, and then I went back and did my training in emergency medicine. So I decided after looking at all the different options for specialties. Emergency medicine was the one that was going to be most exciting, give me the chance to really be a doctor and save lives and, you know, really get in the, in the thick of things. And it was a great career. Um, I, I practiced in Chicago. I practiced on Guam. Uh, my wife is from Guam. I was the first ER doctor on Guam. And then I was in, up in Northern California for many years. Hmm. And halfway through my career as an ER doc, and, and remember, you know, you know, as an ER doc, you're really designed to save lives. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you, sometimes you don't even think about the quality of the life that you're saving. They, they, people come in and, and you kind of, you do what you do and you move them through. And, but, um, halfway through my career, uh, in 2001, I had a good friend of mine uh, die of melanoma. And that was the first time I was exposed to a different way of, of caring for people. Uh, and that was when we brought in hospice to provide support for him. Mm -hmm. And that planted a seed Several years later, I ended up moving down to San Diego, and I uh, moved and in, transitioned into the palliative care and hospice world. Mm -hmm. And I started, I, and I started taking care of people in their homes and dealing with all their complex illnesses and issues, and, and guiding them towards appropriate care. Uh, and many times, that would be guiding them towards end of life care and comfort measures. Yeah. And I, and while that was phenomenal, and I realized that's my calling, I also recognized that there are so many gaps and holes uh, that that continued mm -hmm. to plague people and cause way uh, so much suffering and struggle. Well, so, it's a challenging subject. I mean, we all we're all about quality of life. We should also be about quality of death, right? I mean, uh, it's, it sounds simple, but it's very well, it's, you know it's yeah, an unpleasant it's, subject for a lot of people. But uh, heck, we're all heading in the same general direction, you know. The only thing that we all share at this point, right? We have there's two things that we share: we were born, and we're going to die. Right. And we can't do much about the first one, but we can certainly do something about how the second one happens. But for me, it's always been about the importance of the autonomy of the person. Uh, you know, the person who wishes to die, their decision. Yeah. It's always bothered me that family member society wants to get involved in something that is really none of their business when you get to the very bottom line. Well, have a good I lawyer, like I guess. <laughs> well, I'm just, it's just my opinion. Oh my well, there, you know, it is about the autonomy and when people are able to make uh, informed decisions, that's certainly when, when things go best. But most, most people don't 
aren't, aren't able to make informed decisions mm-hmm. because they're not really being informed. Yeah. Right. The, We're going to go to the break in a moment. I want, if folks want to get on the websites, it's a Hemlock Society, San Diego.org, or integratedmd.com for Dr. Bob. We'll be back with Faye Gersh and Dr. Bob Uslander right after this. All right, we're back with the award-winning It's Your Money on Your Life. And before we get to Richard, I just want to correct the website for Dr. Bob. It's integratedmdcare.com. And now this is a time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. So I will. Big thank you to our sponsors. Got a bunch of CPAs. Hey, Joe, did you know that Signature Analytics, Jason Kruger's great CFO company, has new offices. More about that later. But a great CFO service company for fast-growing companies that don't want to hire their own CFO. Signature Analytics, also more traditional CPAs. That would be... Polito Epic CPAs in San Marcos, California. Don Epic, Paul Polito. Yeah, it's tax season. They'll do a great job. Also, if you want a, shall we say, more modern approach to tax preparation, paperless, app-based, very price efficient, Happy Tax. Check out happytax.com. Also, our great friend Joel Grushkin. Joel is really, really happy because the San Diego State Aztecs made the NCAA tournament. Huge college basketball fan, but cost segregation initiatives. Joel's company helps real estate owners improve their cash flow. Also, a recent guest, Paul Hines. Paul, of course, is the CEO of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management and also is the catalyst behind SeniorSafeAndSound.org, helping to prevent financial abuse of the elderly. Also, VFO Hub, that's V like Victor, FO Hub, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients, and that's also a recent guest, Alex Sonkin, who heads up that company. Elite Lifestyle Management with Michelle St. Clair, helping those of us who have no time get things done, from simple things like travel arrangements to the more complex, like getting fishing licenses in Cuba. Elite Lifestyle Management can help you get back your most precious asset, which would be your time. Also, prediction works for those of you in the venture capital space. Yeah, it's great to be able to predict what the next great company is that you should invest in, but it's even more important to make sure you do not invest in something that is not going to make it, thus causing you to lose your investment. Prediction works. In fact, Mark Long, their CEO, is going to be a guest on our show, I think, in another week or two. Also, for those of you who love our show so much that you missed dinner, now you're getting hungry, we've got some great food sponsors. More recent, Salon Beach Coffee Company, owned by my niece, Melissa, on Coast Highway in between Loma Santa Fe and Villa de la, Villa de la Valle in Salon Beach. Check out Salon Beach Coffee Company as well as a couple of great sponsors who've even been with, been with us for a lot longer than that. Right, Joe? Absolutely. Uh, there's the uh, Very Good Food Foundation headed up by Michelle Chakraley Lirac, putting on great foodie events throughout the year. And I know they have uh, a, no, a good one coming up soon. So get over to BeryGoodFoodFoundation.org. Or I think it's BGFF.org. BGFF. Yeah. yeah. And also Lestat's Coffee Houses, uh, the one in Normal Heights, the one in University Heights, the new one on University Avenue, all open 24-7, 365. And have great food, great coffee, and great people watching, and always packed. And I know a lot of these sponsors have been working with Richard for many, many years with great success, correct? Going on 30 years in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So get over to IYMoney.com. There's a sponsor tab, a drop-down menu. You can learn about any or all of them. They can help you out in your personal and business life and, and do great degrees. So there you go. Let's get back to Faye and Dr. Bob Uslander talking about the Hemlock Society. And I think we left off getting into um, advanced directives and living wills and um, and um, what else were we discussing? I know well, we were t- discussing the autonomy of the decision, right? And well, how? The, and also, I think what many people don't know is the relatively new, now a year and a half old, end of life option act mm-hmm. that does permit physician aid in dying uh, for terminally ill, mentally competent people. 
And since most people don't know about that option, uh, and they could take advantage of it if they wanted, it's something to talk about. And sometimes it's hard to find a doctor, and Dr. Bob is sometimes the doctor uh, that we refer people to because he will help people get the medication mm-hmm. and see them through that end-of-life option. Act. Well, I know physicians are supposed to do no harm, but I've always been fascinated by what does the word harm mean yeah. versus I, what does the word help mean. Can I share my perspective Please. on that? Please. That's what I was hoping you would do. <laughs> okay. So, so I, at, uh, when we uh, left off, I was sharing that I had, I had um, been in this traditional world of palliative care and hospice after leaving my emergency medicine career, and I started a practice, uh, integrated MD care, which is essentially uh, we go in into people's homes and we identify what, their, what the reality of their situation is, what's most important to them, what their goals are, what their resources are, who's on their team, what do they need to have the best possible quality of life. And, and I started this practice, and we have a nurse and a nurse practitioner, and I have massage therapists and music therapists and just amazing, amazing people who are there to give people the best possible support medical care and and other types of care and as we as we started doing this practice what we recognized was there were people who were were not going to have a better quality of life no matter what mm-hmm. they were dying and they 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 couldn't die fast enough as far as they were concerned the medical system had done what it whatever it could with all our great technology and um, and medications and procedures there are people who are done with all of that. And unfortunately, our system in many cases doesn't recognize when it's time to stop. We just keep pushing. Mm-hmm. And, and people, pa- people and patients and their families don't know when to, to say, I've had enough. They, 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 for various reasons, they often continue pushing until someone says, okay, well, there's nothing more we can do, so now it's time to go on hospice. And that, that sometimes can be the right, um, the right option and provide the right support. But there are oftentimes missing pieces, large gaps, people struggle, and they suffer. I, I think the last case that really uh, you know, brought this to national attention was that Terry Schiavo in Florida, obviously brain dead. She was five years being kept artificially alive, something like that, correct? I mean, so that's a, that case is important, but it's not the case. It's not what we're I, – I, mean, I don't want to cut you off. No. But, that, but what we're talking about is people who are making their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Who are competent and they right. get to choose. She didn't even what have that choice. She didn't have that choice. She was in a coma. Or but whatever. the law, the law gave her that choice because the law designated her husband Michael to be her power of attorney for health care, and then, then the her, family intervened. Her parents got in the right. way. Then. But every court upheld Michael's right. right to make the decision for her, and that's what finally happened. Right, but boy, what a battle! And uh, it was just kind of everyone. Everyone suffered. Yeah. Everybody suffered, including yeah. her. I mean, uh, upon, upon, I think they had an autopsy, her brain was pretty much gone. gone. And um, so when you're dead, and your brain, I mean, your, your brain is dead, that's what the legal definition of brain death, or, because they can keep you artificially going with, with pumps and things, right? And, Correct. But, but death doesn't occur until your heart stops, and, and your brain, the, the status of your brain is not really part of the equation when you're talking about life or death. Yeah. It's, I mean, it certainly is when you're talking about quality of life or ability to 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 truly live right but so i started my practice in january of 2016 and in june of 2016 the end of life option act passed in california Mm -hmm. so it's a law that's modeled after the death with dignity uh, law in oregon which has been uh, in existence for 20 years now washington state has a similar law uh, which allows a person who's an adult resident of california who's mentally competent 
with a terminal illness to, to request from attending physician a prescription for medication that, if they choose to take it, will end their life peacefully. Mm, so, gotcha. so it requires that the person make the request uh, 15 days apart, at least 15 days apart. A second physician needs to evaluate the patient and concur that they have a terminal illness and are competent, and the patient fills out a written request. And once, they, once those things have been accomplished, the patient has the ability, the choice, if they want, to fill the prescription, get the medication, and they can take it or not. What it does is it gives them the control back that they have lost, mm -hmm. and it gives them an option to have an extremely peaceful, dignified death that is at the time and place of their choosing. And this is their own individual decision, right? Totally. So, gotcha. It has to be their decision. Yeah. They have to be the one making it. They have to be able to actually ingest the medication. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I'm curious. It's a fairly new law. Are there any statistics on people who make that decision who go through with it versus change their mind and don't go through with it? Uh, I, I think the, the statistics show that about two-thirds of people who actually go through the process mm -hmm. and get the medication take it. Okay. Mm. Some of some of the people who don't take the medication um, have lost the ability to. They're sure. they're no longer competent. They're physic. They, they die of other causes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you can hear that this is a rather complex yeah. procedure. And, and to then go I'm wondering through. if there's some doctors who uh, refuse to give that information. Or they should. The vast majority of doctors are uncomfortable mm -hmm. having the conversation. Most of do most doctors won't participate because it is a bit. It is cumbersome. It is there yeah. is logistics. And, and as I've discovered, because I'm, I'm very comfortable guiding people down this path and being with them when they take the medication, because I truly believe that they deserve that right. It's their legal right. I believe that they have, we all should be able to, to self-determine. You know, and if you keep a, uh, a patient going, I mean, you can keep billing the insurance companies, right? <laughs> so there's something to be yeah. said for that. We'll be back with Faye Gersh and Dr. Bob Uslander about the Hemlock Society right after this. Hang on. We're back with Dr. Bob Uslander, who is a consultant and collaborates with the Hemlock Society of San Diego. I want to clarify that. And, and Faye Gersh. You're a doctor also, Faye? Or I not? am a psychologist. That's right. That's right. The Hemlock Society is a uh, 501c3 not-for-profit organization. Mm -hmm. So uh, Bob is a for-practice doctor. That's what he does. And so mm -hmm. a little bit different. Yeah. And your website, I'm going to give it again because it's very robust. It's hemlocksocietysandiego.org. And there is a lot here. You have events uh, every month? Every month. And who puts those programs on? Is that who? You do that? You, yeah, we do that. I mean, wow. Cause and they're, they're always open. Well, not this coming one is not open to the public and not free, but uh, all, all the others are. And yeah. uh, we that's our mission is to educate the San I Diego community about their end name, of life choice. I see names I know Dr. Mitz uh, Tomita, I know him. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's with the uh, um, Kaiser, he uh, was. rheumatologist, wasn't he, I believe, or um, family, 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 family practice. Yeah. yeah, but I've seen his name around and um, Z Dog MD. This doctor, Richard, I think I've he's sent a friend of mine. Oh, you sent, yeah, you sent, me, you sent me something to look at from yeah. him. Very interesting fellow. Yeah, let me hear it. So he's a friend yeah. of yours, yeah. Bob? Yeah. This guy's got the greatest uh, online uh, <laughs> yeah. videos and, and interviews. And I see uh, there was one, pr what, what's this, Eminem or how, uh, Ain't the Way to Die? Oh, he did like a little uh, music yeah. video. It's very yeah. poignant. It's really <laughs> it's poignant. He's actually showing up at a meeting we're having. Final Exit Network, which is another organization I'm, I'm in on the advisory board, is having a uh, actually a Western Hemisphere meeting uh, in Las Vegas in two weeks. Oh, and that's and, where he... And uh, Ziggy Dog is one of the um, 
speakers or singers or whatever that's he does. Great. Rappers. <laughs> he's he's phenomenal. This guy's an internal medicine doctor and he right. does this on top of it. And he lives in I think he lives he's in works Vegas. in Vegas. Well so. he he's a he was a hospitalist. His wife uh his wife went to college with Tony Shea, who's the um founder of Zappos. Zappos. So ah. they brought Zubin into <laughs> Las Vegas to help them create uh, Turntable Health, which is a which is a novel healthcare delivery uh-huh. model, and that he's been part of. So he's he's quite a guy. Interesting, interesting. So so can I ask you about some history, Doctor Jack Kevorkian, who I guess is maybe one of the more controversial figures in in this whole debate. Uh, was he ever involved with Hemlock Society? Or, no, he or, or, wasn't. Or what role did he truly play in this in this whole progression? He is my hero, not everybody's hero, but mine. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm doing a little play that I wrote about him on Sunday night. Mm. Uh, called St. Peter versus Jack Kevorkian. Uh, the question the audience has is whether he goes to heaven or goes right. to hell. Right. And uh, he has my vote. But um, he for did heaven. not for join. Heaven. For heaven. <laughs> he did not join. Well, actually, both of us were in a book called Who's Who in Hell, okay. <laughs> which I consider my one of the great distinctions of, of my life. Badge of honor. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. uh, but he did not join the Hemlock Society or anything else because he thought we were too slow. He didn't believe okay. in that legislation has to be changed and blah, blah, blah. He believed this was a person's right, mm-hmm. a doctor's responsibility to help people in agony die. And he thought we were just wasting our time. Hmm. Interesting. But hmm. uh, I was there at his trial. Uh, we had lunch together for the last week of his, not life, but before he was sentenced to uh, eight to ten years that in prison. Was re- that was horrible. Yeah, it was ridiculous. That was horrible. I yeah. mean, they've got guys on Wall Street skating, and, and you know, someone like him, uh, you know, you don't put, I don't think you put it. The doctor. irony of it is that was, gosh, 10 years ago now, and in Canada, doctors can do legally what he did then, mm. and that is give a lethal injection to somebody that can't swallow. Yeah. I guess doing it on 60 Minutes might not have been. Uh, right. No. Right. In retrospect, <laughs> I disagree. Really? I think it was brilliant. Really? Yes. It was well, the first, first time that 60 million people could see how people actually die yeah. with euthanasia. Yeah. Well, well I, I think I think the um, challenge is so abstract for so many people. That's why it's so easy to say, well, no, nobody should be allowed to die because we were taught that life is precious. Mm-hmm. But Tell quality us, of life is precious. quality of yeah. yeah. But, Tell us about the play Sunday night because uh, uh, this airs Saturday, so this would be the uh, the following <laughs> night. Well, it's a small group to my, my play reading group, I guess. Oh, it's a play reading. Okay. Yeah, but I've done it. It's been done, performed actually mm. around the country. People dress yeah. like angels. They have and where will it little be? ballot. Well, it's. Or is it a private thing? Or? It's a private oh, thing, okay. but um, right. I, I I will do it. Um, really, the drop of a hat. It's fun to do, and it's uh, amusing, and it's entertaining, and it's informative. And what's the name of it? Doctor Kavorkian? Saint Peter versus Saint Peter Jack versus, Kavorkian. Yeah. I've Saint done Peter a little Ver- gender bending, so both main <laughs> characters are women. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Hey, they were doing that back in uh, Caesar's times too. So and Shakespeare's. Uh, I think Shakespeare. They always had men playing women, yeah. and then Milton Berle playing men. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, but in any case. Uh, uh, or women playing men, I'm sorry. Uh, in any case, well, your meetings are the third Sunday of odd-numbered months. Uh, it looks well, like they, your general meeting. Actually, that's right. The the um, informative meeting where there's a mm-hmm. speaker or a panel or something is the odd months, third and, Sunday. And then you and have, then the you have movies film. are the third Sunday of yeah. even months. So if you go to Hemlock Society, uh, San Diego.org, it, it's all there. I'm really impressed with the, with the, the, the programs you put on here. These are uh, very... Varied and interesting, and um, I think everyone should be uh, should be interested in this subject. So, so your, do your members tend to be older, or do you have some younger members? We have some younger members, and really, it's important for younger members to join because, first of all, they could die too. Mm-hmm. Even uh, Tom Yauk, who 
Jack Kevorkian went to jail for was uh, 57 right, years old. Right, he wasn't that old. Right. No, and that was ALS. But also they have parents, and uh, the question of what to do with parents who want to die or want to live under certain circumstances or don't have an advanced directive is really a serious question. Mm -hmm. There's a wonderful illustrated book called uh, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? <laughs> Uh, and it's the problem. You mm -hmm. can't talk to your parents. The parents can't talk to their kids. Oh, no, no, we can't talk about that. Well, I think so. at some point we're all going to have to talk about it because it's all going to affect us losing a loved one, you know, whether it's a, a parent or a sibling or peer or whomever. I know on CBS Sunday Morning about, I think it brought it to Dell's attention, um, there, there was young, some young gal putting on uh, um, seminars or an organization about about this subject in, in death and dying uh, do, you, do you recall seeing that at all or i'm, I'm trying um, there's a lot of attention lot, being lot. drawn right now right. to this to this topic people want they, they want to know that their that their choices will be honored and um there's still there's still a lot of discomfort about talking about the actual time uh, around death mm -hmm. but but there's a i think there's a growing awareness and there's some momentum which is why we're coming out and, and speaking and trying to capture that momentum. I found it. It's from last October. It's a mortician, Caitlin Dowdy. Oh, she's coming to this meeting in Las Vegas, too. Really? Oh, I love her. Yeah. She came to our, one of our meetings. So she's a, she's a, she's a young person, yeah. and uh, a lot of people attending her, her mm -hmm. organizational yeah. meetings are We're are having young. Caitlin and Zub, Zub, Zubin. Dog. What is really? Dog. Man, <laughs> I ought to go to the – when, when is the date on that? It starts um, March uh, – Ninth or so? Uh, I can't remember now. I mean, I'm April or March speaking, but um, it must be Mar must two be April. weeks, two, weeks a couple of weeks. Now. Okay, and soon. The, and what's the name of the conference again? It's Final Exit Network. Final Exit. Yeah, you Network. can just go to their website and find out all about it and register for it and everything. Wow. Yeah. Outstanding. Very yeah. good to know that. So that's yeah. the one I was thinking of. And that was uh, last October on CBS Sunday Morning. Oh, she was. She's a wonderful. She's a licensed mortician. Yes. I didn't. I didn't realize <laughs> yes. that, but. Uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. So and we uh, also have death cafes. I have to give a plug to death cafes. They're not that? ours, but it's another thing that's going on all over the world is death cafes, death over dinner, death over cocktails, where people come and talk about whatever issues they mm -hmm. have about dying. Wow, and I'm yeah. sure you get all the, the jokes. You know, I'm dying to get dying to be <laughs> here, <laughs> dying to <laughs> right? <laughs> we just started sure. a meetup group. We, you know, we're, there you go. We, we're, we're we're trying to educate physicians. We're trying to get physicians to engage more in this. But we started a meetup group for the community. And it's um, reimagining end of life care. Do physicians have the reluctance because they always do they feel like they lost when they lose a patient? Is because they're so invested in 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 how, curing a patient or helping them survive? There are so many reasons why physicians are on, are not having these conversations. Part of it is the discomfort that's not taught in medical school. There's no training around talking about end of life. They don't have time. I mean, I would hope every hospital would put on these uh, workshops. They're not. The, they're not. Well, we'll do them. We will yeah. do it That's in every hospital. Every hospital. There, there's also no Just billing code. Us. There's also no billing code for it. Well, actually, there is now. There is now. You can get seventy-two bucks for right. having this conversation. I know, seventy-two dollars for and, having a conversation. And but you're supposed to try to fit it into fifteen or you know right. twenty minutes. Let so me, you know it, it can't it, happen. Is there a monetary uh, uh, incentive for, for keeping patients alive versus? Sure. Okay. Of course, well, hospice agencies get paid by the day. Right. Nursing um, homes. Nursing yeah. homes get paid. Assisted so, living facilities. Medication. Oh my so God. maybe ICUs. maybe money is a factor, Richard. It's your money Joe, and your life. money is always a factor. It's, always it's a factor. your money and your life and your death. We're, we're talking. We're talking about the medical profession <laughs> and insurance companies yeah. in the same breath. Money I just want to mention that so. 
in Canada, they have the same uh, length of time, a year mm-hmm. and a half now, they've had an act permitting physician aid in dying mm-hmm. in a much more liberal way than we do. For example, they provide lethal injections. Mm-hmm. And those doctors are paid by the state. Mm-hmm. And the medication is paid for by the mm-hmm. state. Gotcha. And, and we, we have to wrap it right there. Dr. Fagersh, Dr. Bob Uslander, Helmuck Society of, of San Diego, and Dr. Bob is a uh, uh, integrated MD care, right? Integrated MD Dot care. Com. Richard Muso, great seeing you this week, and great seeing you, Justin Harder, board operating, th- making a sound terrific. Thanks to Craig Blanke and Dave Sniff here at KFMB for all their help. All these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.